I want to encourage you today, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture, but probably the key passage that you want to give attention to is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Hebrews 12 and verse 14. The title of this morning's message is The Pursuit of Holiness. The Pursuit of Holiness. And this is the second of eight messages that we're studying that have to address the lost disciplines of the American church. There's a reason why the church is struggling in North America. And I believe it's because there are these areas of neglect. And last week we looked at the filling of the Holy Spirit. Today we're looking at the subject of holiness as it applies to us individually as Christ followers. God's Word says in Hebrews 12 verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness. In our nation right now, we are far from being the church that he has called us to be. I believe with all my heart that as a nation, we are an embarrassment to God in the way that we act, the way that we behave, and our overall condition as his people. For example, in Arkansas over the last decade, each week that I spent at the Baptist building, working, driving around the state, numbers of things would come in every week, every week here in our state. For example, one church while I was preaching, a woman got so angry at the youth pastor that she tried to strangle him with her bare hands, and it took a couple of men to pull her off. I know a lot of you have thought of doing that, perhaps, but this lady acted on it, and she was arrested. A minister of music was arrested, tried, and sent to prison for molesting several young boys in his student choir. A youth pastor who had been viewing internet porn for months molested a young girl in his youth group. Sexual sin, molestations, adultery affairs every week are happening in our churches. Um, a church treasurer who was a lifetime church member in another part of the state was caught embezzling somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000 from her church. When they finally looked at the bank record, they only had $43 in their account. And she also worked for the local, local water company. She'd been doing the same thing there. She was caught when her pastor noticed that the state had published the giving records of churches to missions and noticed his church hadn't given anything. So he called the state office, and they said, well, that's what we have. And then he talked to his treasurer, and she said, well, I'll look into it. And she produced a fake letter from my boss at the time, Dr. Amel Turner, saying that everything was in order and everything was taken care of. Um, holiness. Do we know anything about it? There was a pastor in another community here in Arkansas who preached some mighty fine sermons so good that the local newspaper decided to publish them only to discover he had downloaded them word for word from the internet. And uh, he was let go in relationship to that. There's a difference between research and plagiarism. And, um, and he did not know the difference. People look for church in America the way a child hunts for a box of cereal in the grocery store. It looks good, it tastes good, it makes me feel good, and when I dig inside, there's got to be a special prize waiting for me. That's the way I did it when I was a kid. But God is looking for a different kind of church. He says in 1 Peter 2, he's looking for a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, a group of men and women who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. 
What does it mean to pursue holiness? What does it mean to pursue holiness? Several years ago, Barna Research asked Americans to describe what it means to be holy. You know what the most common answer was? By far, the most common answer, what does it mean to be holy? You know what the average person said? I don't know. I don't know. And when they turned to talk to church members, to people who claim to be born again, and they asked them, does God expect you to be holy? Less than half believe that, that God wants them to be holy. So what I want you to see first is the core idea of holiness is this. It's being set apart or separate for common condition and use. It means to be set apart or separate from common condition or use. Here are two mic stands. Right now they're together. But if I was going to sanctify one of these mics, I would set it apart from all the rest. I'm lifting it up. I would set it apart from all the rest. And because now they're separated... And I've, and I've caused a separation between the two and set this one apart. It has been sanctified or made holy for my use, the way that I want it to be. Every Christian is made holy through a process called sanctification. It's a process that every person here that knows Christ, whether you fully understand it or not, you are engaged in this process. So much of this process has to do with what God is doing in your life. Wayne Grudem, who wrote a wonderful systematic theology, and I would only read it if, um, if you just really love digging deep, because it's a great book. I know a lot of Sunday school teachers here have that book. He said, sanctification, this is a quote, is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Freer from sin, more like Jesus. Freer from sin and more like Jesus. Freer from sin and more like Jesus. That's God's plan. That's what God is doing. That's what God wants to accomplish in your life and in mine. It is a work of God. Notice in this uh, passage, I want to read Hebrews 10, verses 10, and I want to read verse 14 also. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 10, should be on the screen. And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been sanctified. It's a done deal. It's been accomplished. God, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ because of what he did for you on the cross, he set you apart for himself. You became his son. You became his daughter. And it was fully accomplished forever that you are his and that you are holy in his sight. It is an accomplished fact. But how many of us would say this today, I'm holy? Now, it's true about you, but obviously we're not there yet, are we? And so the rest of the verse, in verse 14, explains, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In other words, God has already done it. He's already accomplished it, but I move in that direction. He's working in me, teaching me, convicting me directing me, correcting me, constantly. And it's not meanness, it's a joy, as we'll see as we get further in this message. This process is a joy because of where it's taking us and what it allows us to experience and to know. It's also, it's a work of God. It's also a work of man. The process of becoming holy requires your cooperation and my cooperation with what God is doing. 
In 1 Peter 1 verse 14, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. How much conduct? All of it. All of it. Everything that you do, everything that you say, every moment of every day, he has called you to be holy in your conduct. He goes on and says the reason for it, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. The people who claim to know a holy God should live as a holy people. Now the writer of Hebrews adds, when we think about our part, he adds this verse that we've already read, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now the word pursue means to chase something down, to run after something. Are you running after holiness? Are you chasing it? Trying to catch it? That's what he's saying. And then there's a warning in this verse. If, if you are not being made holy, if God is not at work in you, and you are not cooperating, more specifically, if you're not pursuing this holiness, responding to the work of God in your life, he says, without which no one will see the Lord. No one. What a warning. What a test. What an evidence that, in fact, I know the Lord. So by definition, to pursue holiness means this. Pursue holiness, then, is to cooperate with the indwelling Spirit of God. We talked about that last week. As he seeks to show Christ in you every day. Jesus lives in every Christian. The Holy Spirit, he wants to show Jesus through you every day. And that's what we mean by pursuing Holiness. How much of Jesus am I unleashing on the world every day? Well, the question I want us to explore this morning is this. How can I pursue holiness? It's a done deal in the sight of God. When God looks at you and me in Christ, we are already made holy. But it's also a journey that you and I are on. And you know, you wonder sometimes, you see, you see an older Christian. They've been a Christian. If you ask them, they say, oh, I was saved and... 1951 or whatever. And they are as mean as the day is long. You ever know anybody like that? Don't look around, please. They'll tell you that when the day they were saved, but they have in their mind this idea that I was saved, I'm headed for heaven. That's all that Christianity is about. And they couldn't be more incorrect. If Jesus lives in you, God is at work. And he's there to change you and transform you. And so between now and heaven, that's what he's all about. He's all about transforming you and conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so you can claim to be saved. And then you see a younger Christian. You see someone who's only been a Christian six months. Or a person who's only been a Christian for a couple of years. And you meet that man or that woman or that young person. And they can quote scripture verses to you. And not just quote those verses, they can tell you what they mean. Because they love the Word of God, and they read the Scripture, and they soak it up. They just soak it up. God says it, I want to do it. <laughs> God says it, that's what I want to be. God says, don't do that, I don't want anything to do with that. And they're zealous, and they're, they're passionate, and they're pursuing holiness. They don't even know they're doing that. They don't know any better. They thought that's why God saved them, <laughs> was to change them. And make them different and make them new. How can I pursue holiness? 
Well, there's several things. We could go on. I, I sat down this week and answered that question just for myself. And I promise you, I made the list of probably 12, 15, 20 things, depending on how you carve it up. And I thought, well, we don't have time for that. So I just chose four, the things I thought were most important, most comprehensive. And you can all relax now. But, um, but what I'm saying to you is this is not an exhaustive list. There are many ways you and I pursue holiness. But, um, but let's give attention to these this morning. Number one, how can I pursue holiness? First, learn to tremble before the holiness of God. Learn to tremble before the holiness of God. You know, when theologians try to describe God, they talk about his attributes, the attributes of God. And they'll use these 25-cent words uh, like omniscience. Omniscience is saying that God knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. And if you're a kid in school, you can be a little bit envious of that because that means God never learns anything. He doesn't learn anything. There's, there's nothing new in the sense of what he knows about. He knows everything there is to know. The Bible also says he's omnipotent. And that's a word that theologians use to describe God. That means he possesses all power. And there's no one and nothing more powerful than him. The, another, another word is omnipresence. Omni means all, means he's present everywhere. There's no place I can go where he is not. So on the worst day you've had where you think God's a million miles away, he's still there. There's no place you can go where God is not. And that's true when you're misbehaving. You know, sometimes when you and I sin, we know we're, what we're about to do, and we just go ahead and do it anyway. It's almost like we say, God, don't look at me right now. Come back later. There, he can't go away because there's no place he can go to. He is everywhere. Uh, he's eternal. He's eternal. That simply means that God has no beginning and God has no end. He is eternal. He is timeless. Time was his invention. But time is meaningless in terms of who God is. And he is eternal. He is just and pure. God never has to sit back and say, now what's the right thing to do in this situation? He doesn't have to do that. He always knows what the right thing is. He is always just. He is always pure. Habakkuk in 113, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. In 1 John 1, 5, he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You know what that means? That means when you are tempted to complain at God, you're angry at God, God, where are you? What are you doing? You need to know that God never does anything wrong towards you. God is never unfair towards you. He is absolutely just and pure. Everything he does is good. Everything he does towards you is good. Everything that he's at, involved in right now in your life is good. Because he is always just and he is always pure. The point is this. When you come to God, you come to someone who is entirely and absolutely different from you and from me. He's totally different. He cannot be compared to anything else. In Exodus 15, 11, they say, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? It's a rhetorical question. Who is like you? No one is like you. No one is like you. In Isaiah 40, verse 25, he says, To whom then will you compare me? He says to you and me. Who will you compare me to that I should be like him, says the Holy One. 
So when we speak of the holiness of God, we are saying that everything about him is unlike anything that you and I have ever seen or ever known. He is totally separate from his creation. He is totally different. He is totally unique. This is why when John saw Jesus in Revelation 1.17, it says, I fell down like a dead man at his feet because he had never seen Jesus glorified. He had never seen Jesus fully in his holiness, and he fell down at his feet. Later in Revelation 4.8, he sees the throne of God, and it says the four living creatures, John is seeing this, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, remember that for a moment, six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Every time you go to the throne room, that's what they're saying. Isaiah saw the same thing in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 6, 3, it says he saw these same creatures flying around the throne. I went into the temple, he says. And they each had six wings, he said. And then in verse 3, it says that one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what happened to Isaiah when he saw the holiness of God? The Bible says the first words out of his mouth were, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. The very first thing that happens when a person is exposed full bore to the holiness of God is they can hardly stand on their feet. But the very next thing that begins to happen is we begin to see what he is and what we are not. And he is holy, and we are not. And he knew his sinfulness. And the closer you draw to the Lord, you serious about drawing near to God? The closer you get to God, the more you're going to sense your own sinfulness. And you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to address it. You can't go on as business as usual. The holiness of God affects everything and everyone near him. You know, Moses, when he sees the burning bush, what does God say to him? Moses, take off your feet. The, the ground you're standing on is what? It's holy ground. Why? Because God was there. It affects everything. Later on in um, Exodus 20, the people of God saw the presence of God on Mount Sinai, and there was thunder and lightning and smoke and fire, and the ground was quaking. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 20, verse 18, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. When you understand something of the holiness of God, it will cause you not to fear anything else on earth ever again. Cause you not to fear people, life situations, bad diagnoses from the doctor, it doesn't matter. When you've been and you're focused on the presence of God and the holiness of God and the person of God, you have nothing else to fear because you've discovered who he is and what he's like. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, Peter writes, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation. He's talking about people being persecuted for their faith. Don't fear their intimidation, he says, and do not be troubled. But what should you do? But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart as Lord. Don't put your eyes on people. Don't put your eyes on your life situation. Don't put your eyes on your circumstances. Put your eyes on God. 
Look to Christ as Lord. Don't worry about the rest of the world and what they do. When you fear Him, you have nothing else to fear. When your heart is set to please Him, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Paul said, if I was still trying to please men, in Galatians 1.8, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It's about being focused on Him. And when you and I learn to tremble before the holiness of God, that's the starting point for our pursuit. It's a motivation to avoid every kind of sin. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. How? In the fear of God. In the fear of God. And so as you and I focus on him, we discover his holiness, dive into the scripture, discover who he is, go deeper and deeper with your sense of who God is. The more you do that, the more you become aware of him, the more reverent you become, the more you fear his displeasure more than anything else. What a great motivation to change at that point. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Does the holiness of God affect the way you live? Or do you think he's your buddy? You think he's like you, but only a bigger and better version of you. He's not. He's totally different from you. Do you fear him and what he thinks more than anything else? Does his holiness cause you to tremble? If not, why not? Oh, people, this is the lost discipline of the American church. We have forgotten how to tremble before a holy God. Secondly, when you tremble before him, you're at the starting point pursuing holiness in your life. But secondly, give your body to God. Give your body to God. Where do you get in trouble most of the time? With your body? Something to do with your body. If I told you there was an epidemic of pornography in the church that affected half of all pastors, 80% of student pastors, three-fourths of the men and one-fifth of all the women, if I told you that was an epidemic, what would you say? I'd have to tell you it's nothing new. When you read the ethical list in the New Testament where it describes the works of the flesh and those things we are to avoid and abstain from, almost always sexual sin is in the list. But if you were to watch believers and what we do and how we act and how we engage other people and what we call entertainment, if we examine that, you'd have to ask yourself, do we even understand what fornication means? Do we even have a clue what sexual purity is? It's nothing new. The Bible says you and I are no longer slaves of sin. Just like you were already sanctified, you are also free from sin. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a master to sin if you're in Christ. You say, well, why can't I stop? Well, there's some things you need to learn about yourself. Because sin will always intimidate you and cause you to think you can't stop. The old master will always come around and intimidate the old slave who's been set free always. And sin is your old master. Paul teaches this in Romans chapter 6. I just want to zero in on verses 18 and 19. He says, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now he says, Present your members, he's talking about your body, present your members as slaves to righteousness. And then look at the last three words. 
resulting in sanctification. Are you serious about pursuing holiness? Give your body to God. Look at that last phrase, present your members. That's your body. Present is a decisive act. Slaves of righteousness, what are you saying? I am a slave to the will of God. I'm going to make my body a slave to God's will for my life. And, um, and that leads to sanctification. So when you do this, you're pursuing holiness. So stop giving your body to sin. You know, what do you mean by the body, Pastor? I'm talking about everything. You know, when you give your body to God, everything connected to your body goes with it. Your mind, your fantasies, your emotions, your thought life, your hands, your lips, your eyes, your feet, everything. Give your body to God. And, um, and it's not just negative. He says, don't, don't give yourself as a slave to this impurity and unrighteousness and sin again. But there's a positive here. You know, so many times the way you and I try to stop sinning is we say, I'm not going to do it, 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 and then we do it. But what does Paul say here? He says, that's not the way out of your problem. The way out of your problem is to say, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do with my body right now? In this moment, in this conversation, in this day? What does he want me to do? I'm a slave to the will of God, and I'm going to be all about that. You know, if you're busy doing the God's will, you're not going to be busy doing the things that aren't his will. And so there's a strong, positive statement here to give your body to God. So the pursuit of holiness begins as we focus on him and tremble, and then as we give our, our bodies as slaves to God, pursuing holiness. But there's another way you and I pursue holiness. Number three, get serious about sin as a hindrance to God's purpose for your life. Get serious about sin. Don't laugh at it. It's not funny. Get serious about it. And it's a hindrance to God's purpose. Now, you know that God has a plan for your life. If you're a Christian, God already has a plan. I promise you, there's a map. Now, he's not going to show you the whole map. He doesn't work that way. But, um, but Paul writes in Ephesians that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. He, he has a purpose for you. He has a plan. There is a plan underway. And so what you and I tend to do when, when we think about the will of God is we say, okay, I'm going to get serious about the will of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my room, I'm going to shut my door, and I'm going to say, oh, God, show me your will for my life. And nothing happens. A lot of times, you know, when we're saying, show me your will for my life, we're talking about one decision at one moment in our life. We're not talking about the whole day. We're not even thinking about the whole day. We're not talking about tomorrow or next week. We're talking about the big stuff, right? Oh, God, show me your will for my life. And we get frustrated because God doesn't seem to answer with the big picture. He doesn't seem to answer with the map, does he? And we get frustrated, and, um, and we might just step away from the whole thing and say, well, God's out there. He's just there to help me kind of be a good person, and that's all that this Christianity thing is about. But according to Paul, you're starting at the wrong place. Listen to what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. He says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He's talking about getting serious with sin if you're a Christian. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor 
and some for dishonor. Now, if you remember two summers ago when we studied the one another commands in Scripture, we studied what it meant to honor somebody. And honor essentially means to establish the value of someone, uh, the worth or value of something. And so the concept of honor is the idea of value. And some of the things in your life, your house, the house that is your life, some of the things in your life add value to you. Other things don't add value. Well, certainly sin doesn't add value to your life. But, you know, there's some things that aren't necessarily sinful, but they don't add value. In fact, they're sucking up time. They're sucking up commitment. They're sucking up energy. They're, they're sucking up emotional commitment. And, um, and I don't want to pick on anything particular. I don't know what it was, but let's just, let's just, let's just say a husband had a hobby. I know, I know all you guys would look up here when I said that. Let's say a husband had a hobby. And when he's not working, all he does is work on his hobby. And um, in the process of working on his hobby, he spends no time with his wife, no time with his kids. And what has God said about what he should do with his wife and kids? You know, he, he should be the spiritual leader of his home. He should be investing in them. He should be leading them. He should be he should be a place of spiritual refuge and guidance and hope and prayer for his family. And that's a case where there's nothing particularly sinful about having a hobby. But when that thing takes over your life, well, it's not adding value to your life anymore, is it? It's not adding value, and it's taking away from things that are precious in God's sight. And so some are of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Now listen to what he says in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, from the latter, the things that don't add value to your life. He will be a vessel for honor. He will be a vessel for honor. So suddenly, you're looking at your life as a house, and in your house you're saying, okay, this really doesn't add value to my life. I'm getting rid of this. And he says, if you will cleanse that stuff out of your life, the stuff that's sinful, the stuff that sucks away your walk and your devotion to God, move that stuff aside, he says, then you're going to be a vessel. Now, what's the purpose of a vessel? What well, it means to put something in it, fill it up. Um, it becomes something that can contain something else. He says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see, what God wants to do, one of the concepts of holiness in the Old Testament referred to the instruments used in the tabernacle that sat on the table, the holy instruments. They were holy. They were set apart. They were dedicated only for the use of the things of God. And he says, if you cleanse this stuff out of your life, what are you doing? You're saying, here I am, Lord. Use me however you want to use me. I don't know your will for my life, but here's my answer, Lord. Yes. Yes. I don't need to know the road map. I am set apart for your use. I'm yours. Whatever you ask from me, that's what I'm going to do. It's being sold out 1,000%. So if you want to know God's will for your life, start here, Paul says. Get serious about sin. Well, it's not wrong to have a hobby. Please don't write me hate mail about that. But, um, and no one writes me hate mail. Um, if they do, I'm not kidding it. It's not wrong to have a hobby, but because of the way sometimes we pursue all these other things in our life, don't even, don't even get started on entertainment. 
because sometimes we think if I'm not working, I need to be entertained. And um, we're just not even devoting ourselves, using our time in the ways and places that God has called us to. Number four, last thing, pursuit of holiness begins as we focus on him. As we begin to see his holiness, we can't help but tremble before the very person and presence of God. Give our bodies as slaves, he says, and that'll result in sanctification or holiness. And then we talked about getting serious about sin. If I start cleaning out my life, I want to know God's will, I got to start with what's in my life that's already not his will. And I need to move that stuff out of my life. And the last one is this. If I want to pursue the holiness of God, I need to sow to the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Now Paul speaks of this in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Here's what he says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You know, there's, I brought with me a couple pieces of fruit, about the last ones we had. I was um, sick Friday night and yesterday. You're saying, good grief, preacher, you came by and shook my hand. Well, look, I washed my hands before I came and shook your hand, okay? I really did. And uh, so if you get sick, it's because I shook somebody else's hand before I shook yours. So just wash your hands when you go home. But, um, but I've got this fruit here, and one's an apple, and uh, one's an orange, okay? An apple and an orange. Now, if I want an apple tree, am I going to plant the orange seeds? Am I going to do that? No. If I want an orange tree that produces oranges, am I going to plant apple seeds? Well, no. And when I plant those seeds, am I going to get fruit Overnight? No. It takes time. And so I sow what I want to get back, and I've got to keep sowing. Because this is in the present tense, the way that the apostle uses it here. I've got to sow. If I want to, to see holiness develop in my life, I need to sow to the Spirit of God. John Stott, who has since passed away, great Bible teacher in England, he said, holiness is a harvest. This doesn't start overnight. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. Depends on what and where we sow. So what are you, what are you sowing? In verse 7 he says, for whatever a man sows, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. <coughs> if I sow anger, what am I going to reap? Anger. If I sow kindness, what am I going to reap? Kindness. And, and he's making the point. What you sow is what you're going to reap. If I sow orange seeds, I'm going to reap oranges someday. If I sow apple seeds, someday I'm going to reap apples. I'm not going to sow apple seeds and reap oranges. And so this is a law in the Word of God. Spiritual acts will always give spiritual Return. So what are you sowing? And then where are you sowing? Verse 8 explains that you're sowing to the flesh or to the Spirit. You remember last summer we were studying Colossians 3, and he talked about mortifying your members which are on the earth. And we discovered there that members referred to your body. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but we had a cage on the platform, and in it I had a, 
a sin monster. Uh, some people got so much of that, they thought we should have made T-shirts and sold them for missions. Don't feed the sin monster. You remember that? Don't feed the sin monster. And, and the principle that was there is this. Whatever you feed is going to get bigger and stronger. Whatever you feed in your life is going to get bigger and it's going to get stronger. And so if you're trying to overcome sin, stop feeding it. If uh, watching certain things causes sinful desire in your life, stop watching those things. If what you listen to causes you to think thoughts about relationships and people that you shouldn't, stop listening to those things. Um, stop feeding the sin monster. And, um, and so whatever you feed gets bigger and what you starve gets smaller. And the idea is to starve the sin monster and feed the spirit. How do you feed the spirit? You do what he says. You yield to him. The spirit prompts you. You say yes. You, you determine to be obedient in every situation according to what the Spirit leads you to do. And some of it's really easy. I'll tell you what, everyone here would benefit. You just memorized the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What, Lord, should I bring to this moment when I'm talking to this person? What should I bring to this decision that I'm about to make? What's it going to do? When you're about to act, what's the Spirit want you to do in that moment? So what's Paul saying here? If you want to pursue holiness, sow spiritual acts in response to the Holy Spirit in your life, and you will reap holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's not kind that God gives you. It's the kind that you cooperate and he builds into your life. Practical holiness. Not holiness as position, but holiness as practice. Are you pursuing holiness. Why, why do we pursue holiness? To be good? To be better, better people? Is that what God wants from you? God saved you. Je Jesus was sent to die on the cross, rise from the dead so that you'd be good. You know, some of us think that's what the whole Christian life is. God wants me to be good. That's it. That's all he wants for me to be good. Let me tell you, you've missed the mark. That's not what the pursuit of holiness is about. Uh, do you know why pastors and church leaders get into so much trouble with sin? Because they think they're supposed to be good. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Well, there's a big difference between making purity or holiness your goal or making holiness a means to an end. You say, what are you talking about? Well, if I thought that God wanted me to be holy just so I could be a pastor and that my goal in life was to be holy, then I would maintain, and unfortunately this is what happens to far too many men, I'd maintain just enough holiness to keep my job. That part that you don't see, the part where it's just me by myself, I don't have to be holy then. Just enough holiness to keep my job. If I'm church leader, deacon, Sunday school teacher, musician, instrumentalist, singer, um, whatever ministry you're involved here at Wind Baptist Church, if, if you maintain just enough goodness so that you can keep your position, you do not understand the heart of God. You see, holiness is what happens as you get closer to God. If you are pursuing Him and you want to know Him and your goal is to be intimate with Him, 
the closer you draw near to God, the more that, that it lights up sin in your life and the more you have to deal with that sin radically because you love him and you want to get closer and you can't get closer until you deal with it. When that conviction comes and you know you've got to change and you've got to deal with it, you've got to throw it under the bus, you've got to get it, get it out of your life. And so holiness becomes a way of getting closer to God, drawing near him. I want more of him. I want to know more of him. And I can't get close to a holy God. He doesn't let unholy things come close. The only reason you and I can go boldly to the throne of grace is because we're in Christ, who is the holy, precious Son of God. But as you and I are serious about getting close to God, we'll be serious about holiness. Because holiness is our fast track to that great objective that great goal so here's the bottom line you want the fastest way to become a holy man a holy woman the fast track the bottom line is this the fast track to holiness is to draw near the fast track to holiness is to draw near be serious about knowing God be serious about being intimate with him be serious about drawing close to him and the closer you get to him it'll be like coming out of the darkness into the light as he shows you who you really are, and what's got to change so that you can walk with him. In James chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, wonderful promise, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But if you keep reading the verses that follow, cleanse your hands, O sinners. He starts talking about dealing with sin right after that. You can't draw near to God unless you're serious about holiness. Well, I wonder this morning how the Lord speaks to you about that. I believe with all my heart that our church is at a pivotal turning point. And we're either going to come together and decide that we're going to be the people of God. We're going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace like Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. Or we're going to shred one another in a way that absolutely shames the name of Christ. And so I wonder, for you as an individual, are you pursuing holiness? What we do together begins at home with you alone. With the way that you live at home, with your family, the way you walk with people at work. Long before you ever come to a gathering, what's happening in your heart? Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. You have to pursue it. God's called you to this. God's made you for this. Be holy, he says, because I'm holy. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he wants you to be with him. He wants you to know him. He loves you, and he wants to be close to you. And, and to make that possible, he sent Jesus to die for your sins on the cross. When a person, a man or woman, boy or girl, trusts Jesus Christ, their sins fully and completely, past, present, and future, all their sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. He took your place. He took your punishment for you. And the Bible says that when you trust him, everything keeping you from a relationship with God is, is removed and you can come to know him. But that's only the beginning. Uh, to be saved is only the beginning. You're also going to continue to change throughout your life, you know, because his goal to get you closer and closer to him is to change you into the likeness of his son, Jesus. And so you're going to grow as a Christian. 
He's going to teach you things. His Holy Spirit's going to come to live in you. He's going to convict you of things that you're doing that you need to stop. He's going to convince you of things you ought to be doing, and you're going to start. Do you need to trust Christ today? We invite you to come. And brother or sister, if you just need to come and pray at the altar, I invite you to come. You can bow your head there in the pew or up in the balcony, but use these steps. They're available. There'll be pastors here, maybe, standing at the front of each aisle, um, and they'll be here to counsel with you as well as myself. As God has spoken, how you respond to him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for making it possible for us to know you, sending your son to remove the great barrier of sin, the great wall of separation between us and you, a holy God. Father, forgive us for the many times we've taken it for granted, where we've come casually in your presence, almost flippantly praying a prayer, not even thinking about who we're addressing or who you really are. Father, forgive us for not being holy in our walk, not taking holiness seriously. Enable us from this day forward as your people to show Christ to a watching world. For we ask it in Jesus' name.